0: All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, come in. As you all know, um, Tim sent a message that starting today, uh, we are now allowing the other uh, groups. uh, So if the women are meeting in the SDA, um, for the men who are available, they'll be starting to come here, and vice versa as well. For the next teaching, uh, the men will be here, but for the ladies who, who are available to be here in person, you're welcome. Uh, to join us. And so we are doing this um, as part of um, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, in light of um, obeying Christ so that we can gather together and encourage one another in person. All right, I think we can start. We're good with the live stream? Okay, okay. Um, it's a joy and blessing to teach God's Word to you um, so we can grow together in understanding this topic, this topic called spiritual gifts. Uh, before, we, uh, before I begin, let's open in a word of prayer to ask the Lord to bless our time together. O oh Lord, you are our good shepherd who leads your flock, your church. You desire unity within your body. And please help us understand spiritual gifts so that we can use them to edify one another into Christ likeness in Jesus name. Amen. Let's take our Bible, open our Bible app or a real Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 to 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. 2004. How old were you back in 2004? Maybe for some of you, um, none of you were. Maybe some of you are not born yet during that time. But for those who are older, I didn't say old, older, what major events do you, re- do you remember back in 2004? Did you know Facebook was launched back in 2004? The Mars Rover landed on Mars in 2004. And the Summer Olympics was held in Athens, Greece back in 2004. In that Summer Olympics, There was one sporting event that shook the whole sports world. It made headlines, not only in the U.S., but the rest of the world. It was when the Dream Team failed to win gold, because they've been winning gold forever, or for a very, very long time. There is a sports documentary in Netflix called The Redeemed Team. It recalls how the men's U.S. basketball team, back in 2004, how it failed to win the gold medal. They had LeBron James, they had Allen Iverson, they had Tim Duncan, they have Dwayne Wade, they had all of these Hall of Famers, the best basketball players in the world, and yet they failed to win it all. They were all gifted individually. But they didn't know how to use their gifts in unity. They were misinformed about their exact roles. They had egos that collided with one another. They were not motivated properly. They were not playing as a team in unity. They were called a basketball team, but they were not functioning as a team. In relation to our passage tonight, Fifty miles west of Athens, our passage was part of the letter to a church located in Corinth, written by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. The church of Corinth was not functioning properly as a church. They had many problems, and one of them was how they were using their spiritual gifts. So in our passage, to summarize it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 to 11, we find 3 lessons about the nature and purpose of spiritual gifts that unite and build up the church body to maturity in Christ. In verses 1 to 3, we see the misconception of spiritual gifts. In verses 4 to 7, we see the motivation Of spiritual gifts and lastly in verses 8 to 11 we see the manifestations of spiritual gifts so let's go to the first point the misconception of spiritual gifts Paul was concerned about the Corinthian church because of the misconception or misinformation about spiritual gifts In today's society, we understand the negative impact of misinformation or of fake news, for example. And that's why in social media, we have fact checkers, right? To know if that information is false or true. Now, why do they have this problem? Why does the Corinthian church have this problem? It's because of the influence of their past life of their world surrounding them, of their culture. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. They were pagans and idolaters led astray by idols. Paul is telling them, hey, do you remember the time when Christ was not your Lord yet? Do you remember that time that you were being led by those idols? If we want to understand where Paul is coming from, why Paul wanted to address this issue, then we have to understand the church of Corinth even more. We cannot study this passage in a vacuum. So we have to take a step back and see what the Corinthian church was facing. So let's look at the context. In Paul's time, Corinth was the second most important city in the Roman Empire. Corinth was very, very, very wealthy, a very wealthy city in Greece. It was like Rome. Paul planted this church during his second missionary journey, and we see that in Acts chapter 18. Corinth was a busy center. It was a shipping place. It was a port. And because of that, it was subject to many outside influences. Lots of religions with pagan cultures, philosophers, and teachers would travel in that area. At one time, the city was home to at least 12 pagan temples. One of the temples was inhabited by a thousand cult prostitutes. It became a place for all the wrong places. It became a place for the wrong reasons. It became a place famous for being wild famous for being immoral it was the original sin city what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth being a rome like city the citizens valued worldly wisdom with the pursuit of commerce to gain wealth in business you can kind you kinda say you, you can say that Startup businesses flourished there. Corinth was also successful as an entertainment center. As you can see in the picture, it had an outdoor theater hosting twenty thousand people. That's, I think, as many as the Oracle Arena, where the Golden State Warriors used to play. And so many people travel traveled there for pleasure, for entertainment, and to be wealthy. Does that sound familiar? It's kind of like Vegas, Hollywood, and Silicon Valley all in one place. It was the kind of place that Paul ministered at. No wonder there was so much spiritual battle in this church. As a matter of fact, Paul had to write multiple letters to the church to shepherd them. You know, they had so many problems. There were so many problems that my New Testament professor, Dr. Essex, he said this, that 1st and 2nd Corinthians make up about 33% of all of Paul's letters. Now think about that. For every three words that Paul penned, one of them went to the Corinthian church. Think about that. There were so many problems with the Corinthian church because they were mixing the worldly wisdom, and their experience, and their culture in how they run the church. And we see that in chapters 1 to 4, that there was division in the church. There was a report of sexual immorality and incest in chapters 5 to 6. And we see in chapter 7, they were having issues with marriage and divorce and so on, like Christian liberty, corporate worship issues. The Lord's Supper was not being honored, right? Right? And now we arrive in chapter 12, and Paul dedicates three chapters about spiritual gifts. So our passage is just the appetizer for the things to come. And so we land in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. They had misconceptions or misunderstandings of spiritual gifts. They mixed their beliefs of their old religion of mysticism and worldly wisdom. What Paul is saying, what Paul is saying to the church, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Don't let your past experience dictate how you're going to serve in ministry. But I do know this. You couldn't even know about spiritual gifts apart from the Spirit. You couldn't even know Even as basic as lordship salvation, you couldn't even know that apart from the Holy Spirit. Sadly, even up to this day, many churches have misconceptions about spiritual gifts. They are not letting God's Word and His Spirit lead them. Like the Corinthian church, many churches today base their worship on experience or worldly culture. Some think that spiritual gifts are something mystical. And we all know this about charismatic churches, that they have a misconception that spiritual gifts are about tongues, healing, holy laughter, or anything that will give you a great experience. It is chaotic, disorderly. It is not led by the Spirit, but much more led by emotions, It's led by emotions wanting to feel good. Another misconception today is that modern churches bring in worldly philosophies that made them successful in the corporate world. And this leads the church to be pragmatic or results-driven rather than being driven by God's Word and His Spirit. They think using spiritual gifts is, you know, it's about making church programs, right? Or about the numbers gain, gaining members. And some would say, yeah, we need more programs or we need more ministries, you name it. But are they driven by the Spirit and His Word? Is God's Word sufficient? Is this God's Word and His Spirit sufficient for ministry? And this is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in the beginning of the epistle, Paul tells the Corinthian church that, When I came to you, brothers, I did not proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but what? In demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul did not go to the Toastmasters Club, or, oh, let me learn public speaking. You see, Paul didn't incorporate worldly philosophies by being persuasive in his speech, but he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit as he exercised his spiritual gifts. He didn't rely on man-made programs or worldly wisdom. The Holy Spirit empowers our spiritual gifts. Some of you have been affected by power outages recently by the storm and without power you know our household household items wouldn't work you know no matter how state of the art your appliances it could have like ai or i don't know like bluetooth connecting to your phone but without power that appliance is useless Right? It's useless. So in a similar way, our gifts are useless without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot replace the Spirit and God's Word with man-made programs. Because the natural man cannot understand the things of God. Now let me ask you, do we have any misconceptions about our spiritual gifts and how we use them in ministry? Do we let our experience dictate how we use our gifts in ministry? You see, the world worships idols of pleasure, wealth, comfort, results, efficiency, mysticism, pragmatism, and so on. And if we let our church be be driven by those things and not based on God's Word and His Spirit, then that is not good. We cannot let the misconception of spiritual gifts influence how we do our ministry in the church. And this is why we see so many churches dying today. They think that God's Spirit and His Word are not sufficient. And so they're trying to pull in worldly philosophies into their church. And this is why we need to be praying for our church. We need to pray. We are not immune from that. And this is why we have to be reminded every time we go to church, or even when we do ministry, that we rely on God's Spirit through His Word and not rely on our experience. You see, when we do ministry, Ministry, We have to trust the Lord and leave the results to Him. It's important that we shouldn't have any misconception. That's the first point. And the next thing that we need to understand here in our passage is the motivation of spiritual gifts. The motivation of spiritual, spiritual gifts in verses 4 to 7. This second point answers the question, what is the purpose of gifts? What's the motivation? Chapter 12 is about unity. So that's the answer. The purpose of gifts is for unity. And if you have read the next passage in verses 12 to 31, in chapter 12, Paul describes the church as the body of Christ with many different parts but all together as one body. Spiritual gifts are diversely designed, but all with a purpose to build up the body. So the theme is unity, even though spiritual gifts are diversified. It's like different tools that a a carpenter would use. A carpenter would have uh, a hammer, a screwdriver, a saw, right? They have different functions, Different roles, but at the end of the day, all those tools they all work together to accomplish the purpose of the carpenter. It is for the common good. Spiritual gifts are strongly unifying in verses 4 to 6, and we see that the model for unity is God, the Godhead. We see the Trinity. Look at verses 4. Uh, to six, see at the end of each verse all three members of the Godhead. Verse four, we see what the, the same Spirit, right? Verse five, the same Lord, right? Um, verse six, the same God. So, this is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and Paul, right. And Paul is basing his doctrine of spiritual gifts upon the unity of the Godhead. In fact, it is loud and clear with one word here that is repeated three times. It is the word same. Same spirit, same Lord, same God. And Steve Lawson states, This underscores the dimension of unity each member of the Godhead that works together in perfect unity unity we see god the father god the son god the holy spirit they've got the same plan they have the same purpose they have the same mission they have the same operation god is a source of gifts and he empowers his church body to accomplish his purpose and what is that purpose Spiritual gifts are not meant for personal gain, but it is about for the common good. And good here is defined by God. This is not our definition of good. It's a definition of good from God. And in chapters 12, 13, and 14, we see that God wants us to have the motivation of love and unity in the body, in the church. So, we can take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 to 7. And I put up, up I put up there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. And this is the chapter after he was talking about spiritual gifts. Paul says, If I speak the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging symbol. And if I have the prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he goes on to continue, continue, love is patient and kind. Maybe you've seen that as a poster in your parents' house, or this is recited in weddings. But the actual context where Paul uses this is about the church to use spiritual gifts out of love. You see, what Paul is saying here, even if we serve in church to sacrifice our time, our money, and our energy, And if we have not done this out of love for Christ and love for the church family, then it's all nothing in the sight of God. People might praise you, but God knows your heart. So let me ask you, what motivates us to serve in church? When we go to church and serve in ministry, do we think in terms of, hmm, how can I show my love for God? And love for others, how can it be for the common good? Or are we more concerned about what others will think of us? Are we driven by love for God and love for others? That we want to grow in the unity of the church? Or are we driven by the fear of man or approval of man? Do we just serve? Do we just serve to pat ourselves? On the back or do we just serve okay checklist done I'm done I've done my part goodbye guys (laughs) I've done my part I've done my ministry if we are driven by fear or approval of man or selfish uh, selfishness then who are we really serving who are we really loving another wrong motivation is comparing ourselves with others. Do we think we're better than others because we're more gifted than them? Did we develop that gift? Or did God give us that gift? We have nothing to boast about. Or another wrong motivation is about being jealous of others. Oh, how come this sister or this brother has this gift? What about me? Why am I not gifted in this area? And you see, the focus is not Christ; the focus is self. But remember, we're doing the, we're serving, we're loving one another. The focus is Christ, and it's the Holy Spirit who decides, uh, who decides uh, when it comes to giving the gifts. So, whatever ministry we're serving, whether we are teaching or facilitating a group, or or whether we are serving in children's ministry, or fixing the chairs for facilities, you know, setting up the tent, or doing admin work, or security, even holding a crying baby in nursery, or serving yum-yums, or adjusting the sound in the AV. Do we have the heart attitude of loving our church family? Do we have the right motivation? Do we have the right motivation? So let's do a quick review. Let us remember the misconception, the motivation, and last, the manifestations of spiritual gifts. The third point answers the question, what are spiritual gifts? What are they? And I won't discuss all of the spiritual gifts um, you have your FOF. And so I encourage you guys to read that chapter of spiritual gifts. It lays a, a very good foundation of what are those spiritual gifts and their definition. But I just want to uh, make a point that there are temporary spiritual, spiritual gifts, right? Uh, like miracles, healing tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And there are also permanent gifts. And why do, why do we have temporary gifts? I just want to address this because the Holy Spirit gave temporary gifts to confirm the testimony of the apostles and the prophets. These gifts were prevalent in the early church, but ceased to be evident as the church became more established. Okay. And the permanent gifts, as you all know, it's still existing today and still being applied in Churches. The whole point of these gifts is to build up the church to maturity in Christ. Now, I don't want you to, to think that spiritual gifts are only abilities. Yes, they are in a way, but you have to think deeper than that because we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 how Paul introduces. Spiritual gifts. Basically, they are enrichments in Christ. Enrichments in Christ. What do I mean by that? So let's take a look at First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. He starts, here's how he starts his epistle. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in Him, or you were enriched in Christ, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have a Christ-oriented perspective as these gifts enable us to grow in Christ-likeness as we edify one another. You see, what Paul is saying, spiritual gifts are manifestations of Christ-likeness. So spiritual gifts must be defined in terms as manifested powers from the Spirit of demonstrating celebrating, expressing, and displaying Christ in one way or another, either by word or deed. What do I mean by that? John MacArthur simply states, or he, he simply explains, every single gift that the Spirit gives to the church is a characteristic of Jesus Christ. Every single gift. That the Spirit gives to the church is a characteristic of Jesus Christ. Through the church, Christ wants to manifest his own character. We are to be in unity in Christ. All the gifts were in the fullest sense complete in Christ. For example, the gift of preaching. Could Christ preach? Of course, he could preach. Showing mercy. Can Christ show mercy? Of course he can. Exhorting, leading, you know, teaching, the gift of teaching. Can Christ teach? Of course he can. And so on and so on. You get the picture. All these gifts point us to Christ. And the reason he gave each member these different gifts is he desires for us to grow in Christ-likeness. Do you see the point? That's why when someone ministers a gift to you, it builds you up in that area too. So let's say someone has a gift of encouragement, exhortation, right? And if a brother or a sister encourages you, you are encouraged, you are built up in that area. Perhaps someone, a brother, has a gift of teaching. And maybe you'll never have the gift of teaching, but you can grow in communicating on a better level. Maybe your gift is mercy, showing mercy. And you minister that gift to me. And I learn a little more how to show mercy, just like Christ. I'm built up in that area. So when you see a brother or a sister has that gift, don't think, oh, wow, that's an amazing gift of yours. But we should be thinking, wow, praise God, I see Christ. I see Christ is glorified by He, by him using that gift. And pretty soon, as every member ministers to each other, we're all built up as individuals to be like Christ and to show forth all his attributes. And then collectively, as a body, we manifest the total person of Christ for His glory. So remember, all spiritual gifts is not meant to point to how gifted that person is. The whole point is, praise God, it points us to Christ's glory. So, as I close, let's do a review. We see in chapter 12, verses 1 to 11 of 1 Corinthians, three lessons here, the misconception, the motivation, the manifestation of spiritual gifts. Maybe some of you are not serving in ministry because you might be thinking, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, so I'm not going to serve. But in our passage, the order is different. Paul doesn't identify the gifts first. He corrects their wrong thinking about spiritual gifts. He corrects their wrong motives first. He addresses the root of the heart first, and then we all know the fruit will follow. So remember, it is not about identifying your spiritual gift first. It's about trying to understand the true meaning of spiritual gifts, its purpose its, its, um, its importance for the church, for Christ's glory. And these three points can be converted into questions. As I close, is our experience or God's word driving our understanding of spiritual gifts in ministry? Second, is our motivation in serving God and others driven by unity and love? Or is it selfish ambition? And lastly, are we using our gifts to build up the body in Christ? The church is not a spectator sport. The church is a living, breathing organism loved by Christ so that we are to grow in Christ-likeness. Are we growing towards Christ-likeness? Let me close with a story that happened to me two years ago. Two years ago, Dr. Grisanti visited our church. He, he preached in our church, I think, two Sundays ago. And um, so two years ago, he preached here, and I was given the task to make sure that, you know, he gets to the places that he needs to go. So I was the driver, the chauffeur, you know, the one who makes sure that, okay, here's the schedule, and we have meetings with the elders and, You know, those things. So I have to make sure that, you know, Dr. Grisanti is safe and, you know, um, he is comfortable. And so after church, I think we were at Las Palmas Park. We went to Las Palmas Park. And there were so many people and they were happy talking with him. And he was very happy talking, shepherding or teaching uh, or answering the questions of all the people who, who asked him. And I remember he had a great joy of, um, you know, talking with you guys. And, and, you know, as that was happening, and maybe it it lasted for two hours or something, I forgot, but, you know, um, I noticed that um, he did not eat his lunch yet because he was, like, really, he cares for a church. And so he was answering all the questions of our people. And then I also noticed that, oh, um, we're going to be late for our next appointment. And so... You know, um, if you're like me, um, you know, my tendency is like, oh, get things done. You know, let's, let's get it done. Let's go to the next objective. Let's go to the next goal. I didn't say anything. And so, but I think Dr. Grisanti has a gift of discernment. So maybe he saw my body language or something. Um, cut the long story short. Um, finally, we came to the car and uh, I was driving, and he said something I will never forget. He said, sheep is more important than programs. Sheep is more important than programs. Suddenly, a flashback of me, I I remember, like, I sat in one of his classes. Um, I used to fly in TMS before the pandemic, and Sit in in one of uh, some of the classes of the professor. I, I was able to sit in in one of his class, and um, it was amazing. It was I was really encouraged. I did not remember what he was teaching that day, but I did remember I was encouraged. But before um, before the, he started his teaching, he asked all the students, "Do you have any prayer requests?" And there's a sincere a sincere care for the sheep for the students, for the seminarians. And I saw his heart. Wow, this uh, brother of Christ really cares for the flock. And so he had a gift of teaching. He had a gift of exhorting. And he was building up the body, right? He was helping the body. And then for me, I realized, oh, yeah, you know, like that was a gentle and loving rebuke for me, um, because I value the schedule more than the sheep, basically, the program. I had a wrong thinking, uh, a wrong motivation, and God is so generous and, or, or gracious revealing that to me, that I need to repent of that. You know When I serve, it's not about the program. it's about the sheep, you know I realized I had a heart like Martha. I was more concerned about the things of man rather than the things of God. And praise God for revealing that to me. So I had to repent. God has gifted me some admin work, but I have to remember that the sheep, you know, is more important than the program, than the schedule. And I'm thankful for that loving rebuke, you know, a gentle rebuke actually, because it made me realize I needed to grow in that area of Christ-likeness because Christ loves His sheep, His flock, His church. And so we need to be built up, right? We need to be edified for His glory. So I just have a question for you. How about you? Where do you need to grow in Christ-likeness as you serve in our church? Where do you need to grow in Christ-likeness as you serve in our church? Remember, spiritual gifts are are primarily intended to point to Christ, to glorify Christ, not to us, but to Christ. It is meant to unite and build up the church body to maturity in Christ, powered by the Holy Spirit and His Word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the sweetness of your word to us. We thank you that you are the true vine. And apart from you, we are nothing. Uh, we need you, O oh Lord, how we desperately need you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel work that you're doing in our hearts. By the power of your Spirit, help us to grow in love and unity as a church. Purify our thinking and motives when we serve Help us to grow in Christlikeness for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.